1: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Yes, indeed, 505. And it's a Tuesday. It's the first day of February already. Oh, my, my, my. You ever get the sense it just moves on at an absolute unbelievable pace. Yeah, that's probably because it does. In any event, Uh, hopefully tonight's show will leave you with the same impression as opposed to the feeling of it, (laughs) will it ever end? Hey, we've got a lot of important stuff to talk about tonight and uh, some interesting things for you to be aware of. We're going to talk a bit about the uh, new Supreme Court uh, opening here and uh, some of the controversy related to uh, a few of the names that are... um, put forward by the president to, uh, to fill the spot. So we'll get to that conversation, and um, we'll get Bob Zadek to join us with some insights on that. And another issue that really is fundamental to American entrepreneurship and uh, how we try to sometimes use the law to effectively block others that are competing with us in a very fair fashion, in a very unfair way, using that law. And we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on. If you are a business person, sole proprietor, entrepreneur, conversation you won't want to miss coming up in just a little bit. There is a curiosity. You know, educators charged with the responsibility of preparing young minds for the future, equipping them with the tools that they will need in order to be competitive as they matriculate through not only their uh, elementary, middle school, high school years, but eventually hopefully on to college and whatever career path that they choose to teach them not what to think, but rather how to engage in critical thinking. But what even they can't get the fundamental basics right, really makes you wonder. Uh, witness, for example, a Chicago public schools training program. Now, this is where the teachers get frustrated. That is mandating that teachers, in order to be compliant with this program, recognize that, and I'm quoting here, sex is a socially constructed phenomenon and goes on to instruct teachers to hide students' gender pronouns from their parents in a multi-slide PowerPoint presentation entitled Supporting Transgender Non-Binary and Gender Non-Conforming Students asserts, and I quote, everyone has multiple overlapping identities. Gender and sex are socially constructed, meaning they've been created and enforced by the people in a society, close quote. Now, I had a spirited discussion with my engineer and colleague earlier tonight, about manners in which we kind of deny the empirical evidence before us and rather choose to construct a whole new way of thinking that is not grounded based on observation or empirical evidence in any form or fashion whatsoever, much like belief in the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy. And apparently that's going on in Chicago. Let's get more from Brad Dacus constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And, uh, Brad, just when I think I've seen everything, read everything, heard everything, (laughs) one more item comes across the desk that absolutely sets me back on my heels. So we're now to believe, and teachers in the Chicago public school system are to promote and instruct that gender and sex are socially constructed— really
1: uh yeah that's what they're they're teaching and uh and i think people need to understand something about this we're not talking about one teacher who decided to adopt this ideology in one classroom what really makes this particularly concerning this is the chicago uh public schools um this is a formal training program to train teachers and we're talking not about just one slide of a, some presentation of a broader context. We're talking about a hundred and four slide PowerPoint entitled "Supporting Transgender, Non Nonbinary, Gender Nonconforming Students." Um, it's uh, very, um, you know, it's, it's it's very in your face. It's telling these all these teachers in this very large school district um, on on how to. Uh, To, in essence, promote it. And and what's the worst is that they're instructed on how to keep parents from finding out about their child's uh, gender identity dysphoria and identity issues regarding that. So, this is um, that's the worst part because it's so overt in hiding information from parents that parents can't do anything uh, to deal with these issues and help their child work through this gender identity for you in a a positive, constructive way um, instead of what the school district's trying to put.
0: And this is essentially telling all of us, uh, teachers, taxpayers, parents, students, don't believe what your eyes tell you. The gender is not a case of science, medicine, but rather a social construct. And if a social construct, then it can be changed, modified, denied, redefined at will. I mean... You know, anybody listening to this program that's five minutes over the age of two can probably tell you that there's a definite difference between little boys and little girls, and when they grow up to be big boys and big girls, we remain seeing those differences, and yet we're being told, no, 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 that's not true at all. I mean, I I, I suppose if we could roll back the clock 50 or 60 years, uh, those that would have directed the public school system then would would look at this and say— Anybody that comes up with something like this needs to have a one-way ticket to the funny farm, that they ought to be locked up in a mental institution. Instead, they're in charge of the place.
1: Yeah, I I will tell you, uh, Craig, unfortunately, this is not uncommon now in public school districts, particularly what I would call blue, in blue states or or cities with blue school districts that are um, very beholden to the, the, the teachers' union. This is becoming, unfortunately, the norm. In California, it's very much the norm. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, destructive, very inhumane. When we look at the, you know, the the facts, the facts are every single cell in a person's body is unanimous. You know, all 50 trillion, I think it's 50 trillion cells, every single one of them is unanimous as to what your gender is, either XX or XY. Um, the body, the brain is different. It functions different in terms of gray matter versus white matter size, uh, hormonally, skeletal structure, muscle structure, uh, reproductive, of course, hormonals. It, it's just night and day. And so t- this is deception. It's false. It creates confusion. And unfortunately, Craig, as many people are not aware that a person, if a person has a malignant tumor, they're more likely to live to see the age of 30, then if they uh, go down this path and are led down this path into gender identity dysphoria, it's very harmful, very destructive, and uh, even if a child is in a, 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 a this, you know a very liberal place, like, say, the San Francisco Bay Area, which is very more accepting of it, versus a more conservative place, say, in the Midwest, the stats are still the same. The suicide rate is still just as high. Over half of them uh, will will be dead before the age of 30. This is confusion, it's destructive, and that's why the, the church needs to reach out lovingly as ever before to, to people dealing with this real dysphoria, but we need to pounce on school districts that are, are, that are pushing this agenda at the expense and health and welfare of our children, it's so many. I've been
0: entrusted to. All right. Well, Brad, I appreciate the update. Boy, this, uh, as I said in my opening remarks, if this doesn't set you back on your heels, I don't know what will. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. All right, we appreciate so much uh, the, uh, the call today, Brad, and we will check in with you again this time next week. Boy, <laughs> let's, let's just think about this for a moment and how utterly ridiculous it is at every level. Deny DNA, chromosomes, hormones, medical science, medicine, research, and just come up with our own construct made out of thin air. I mean, I... Let I, 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 I me make a point here, and then we're going to move on. This comes back to the centrality of the importance of truth-telling and not getting caught up in manipulations, falsifications, and lies. Who's the father of lies? Quick test, raise of hands, thank you very much. I see those hands. Satan himself is the father of lies. Scripture tells us that. Scripture also tells us in the beginning exactly how man and woman came to be. For we as the church, to stand up against this, we need to be truth-tellers in all manners, in all fashions. And, and you know what? We're, we, in some respects, are equally guilty because empirical evidence, evidence observation, science demonstrates to us what the truth is, but instead we wish to get caught up in a lie and suddenly people are saying things that even though you see that that's a little boy or a little girl, it really isn't. Or or in a more current topic of discussion, when you go to get the vaccination, for example, for COVID or whatever it is, that's not really a vaccination. They're putting tracking devices in you, even though there's no evidence of that. It's altering your DNA, though there's no evidence of that whatsoever. It's the mark of the beast, though there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And there's nothing biblically or scientifically to support that one iota. But if we are willing to get caught up in science fiction and fairy tales at these levels... Then it's no different than the lies that are being told here in the Chicago public school system. You and I know biblically, medically, scientifically, through DNA, hormones, chromosomes, that there's a difference between men and women, boys and girls. Women cannot procreate alone, men cannot procreate alone. God had a plan. But if we're willing to buy into, well, what's the old adage? If you believe in nothing, you'll fall for anything. And sadly, some people's belief system is not rooted in the truth, not rooted in Scripture and science, which, by the way, science supports Scripture and vice versa. We'll have to get a good conversation going related to the origins of man on that topic. If we don't stand for the truth... We will surely succumb to a lie. And that's sadly what's happening here in Chicago. And before you are rapid at tisking and clicking your tongue in disgust, just make sure you check yourself that you're not buying into other types of lies that are equally as dangerous. 518. 518.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Issues we're going to get to in our conversation tonight with uh, my next guest, who is a lawyer, a CPA, constitutional historian, best-selling author, and host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country. We'll tell you who he is in a second. I bet you already guessed. <laughs> but first, subject-wise, American entrepreneurship has been the machine that has driven the success and advancement of innovation and technology in this nation for, quite frankly, most of its history. Whether you want to go back into the 1800s and the creation of developments like the cotton gin, the telephone, Philo T. Farnsworth here in San Francisco, coming up with the electronic version, the mechanical version first, the electronic version of television. On and on it's gone. Why? Because we've encouraged entrepreneurs to be creative, to get out there and innovate, and we've developed largely an environment that helped to encourage all of that. But apparently, not everywhere, or at least in the case when competition flourishes. Instead of deciding how we ought to go about building an even better mousetrap so we can compete better, so you build a cell phone, somebody else builds one even better, and they start to else outsell you, you say, well, I've got to come up with a better innovation here so I can outsell the competition. That's the way it's done the American way historically. Some, however, see the use of manipulation of laws and regulations as a means of beating out the competition. Witness, for example, and some will think this is funny, but I think in a microcosm it is demonstrative of the challenges that we are facing to a broader degree on an increasing basis in our own country. Witness the challenges of a small little food truck, an entrepreneur who in the height of COVID in 2020, said, you know what? I want to do something different here. And I've always been a lover of barbecue food. I'm a great cook. I'm going to buy a food truck. I'm going to go into business for myself. I'll find a spot in town where I can set one up. I'm going to call it the old-time smokehouse. And I will blend the two fundamental Carolina barbecue traditions and start selling barbecue meat. And thus he has and has been successful at it. Paid all of his necessary fees, did everything the right way, but somebody who doesn't like good solid competition, rather than saying what can we do to innovate to be better than him, took advantage of manipulation of local regulations to essentially try to drive the guy out of business. Wow. Is this a story of something that honor to read like the way we do business in the United States or in communist Cuba? Let's find out. Joining find us out, now please. is Bob Zadak, host of the Bob Zadek Show, longest running libertarian talk show in the nation, heard locally in the San Francisco Bay Area every Saturday. Uh, sorry, Sunday morning at eight a.m. on our sister station, eight sixty a.m. The Answer. Bob is always a. Privilege to have you with us. This is a fascinating story because I think it's really demonstrative of some ways in which people will go to any extreme to manipulate laws and regulations because they just don't know how to stand up to good, old-fashioned, honest competition.
2: You're exactly right, Craig. Um, The process uh, by which businesses, and occasionally individuals, but mostly businesses, Go to the government to use, seek the government's help in in limiting or avoiding or putting comp- other competition out of business. Now, the word competition sometimes is given a bad rap, and you often see the hear the phrase "cutthroat competition." Somehow, our country. Which has always prided itself with this swagger, bring them on, we're number one, American exceptionalism. we took on the British and defeated them we We don't fear competition, we worship at the altar of the Super Bowl, competition in its most extreme and here we are, and yet. Competition is given a bad rap. Now, let me just say a word about competition. Then I'll, I'll, you and I will talk about the story that you've teed up this this afternoon. Competition in the business sense—what does it mean, my friends? What it means is some of the smartest people and highest-paid people you will ever meet, who manage and run american business they compete for only one thing they are competing they are spending days and nights and countless dollars to do what to give us what we want at the price we want to pay it should get everybody in america goosebumps to imagine how many millions of people spend their careers just trying to satisfy our needs. Isn't that magical? You want something? Somebody will get it for you at a price you're willing to pay. That's competition. I worship at the altar of free market competition because everything I have is a product of that. Okay, now with that introduction, the place is Farmville, North Carolina. As you said, An entrepreneur who wanted to be in business for himself, who had a great recipe for barbecue, thought he would try selling it, and he bought himself a food truck. Now, food trucks are magical because there's a very low barrier to entry. You want to be in your own business? Well, find out what people might want to eat, buy yourself a food truck, and sell it. And maybe you'll make a living and almost no money you're in business for yourself it's all yours and that's what this fellow did and he paid all of the fees that Farmville North Carolina required which was an annual fee of seventy five dollars a year uh, in order to have a food truck that was his food truck license he got a recipe for barbecue that people seemed to like. He rented some vacant land, parked his food truck, and started making money. And people flocked to the food truck. Then along came COVID. Restaurants couldn't sell, they were closed, you had to eat outdoors. He was supplying a need restaurant quality food. People couldn't get in restaurants. He was doing just fine and loving it. And what happened? Well, the restaurants didn't like the competition. So what did they do? They petitioned the city council, and they said, protect us from this competitor. And city council said, glad to help. After all, they were buddies with the restaurateurs in this small town, glad to help. So what did the city council do? Well, they changed the licensing fee from a hundred dollars a year to seventy five dollars a day. Oh my God, oh my God! that'll show him what else but he paid it. He was paying it. then, what else did he do? Did they do? Well, the city ordinance had a rule that said you couldn't operate a food truck within a hundred feet of the entrance to a restaurant. Okay, he was much more than a hundred feet away from any restaurant entrance. Well, the restaurant said, you gotta help us. City Council said, glad to help. And they changed the ordinance from a hundred feet from the front entrance to a hundred feet from the property line. The property line, there was a. No place left in the small town of Farmville where he could operate his restaurant. And he was out of business. He couldn't operate anymore. It's like the only place you can sell food is behind a toxic waste dump. And he went to an organization, my favorite nonprofit in the whole country, the Institute for Justice. And they took on his case to fight for one thing, his right to earn an honest living that's all he wanted no special favors no tax benefits no nothing he didn't want a favor he wanted the right to offer his product to customers who wanted to buy it and now the story gets really interesting because the institute for justice they brought a lawsuit now what did they use as the basis for the lawsuit Well, they had some technical licensing issues that were very appealing, but what caught my attention when I read about this claim, this litigation, is they cited the North Carolina Constitution, not the U.S. Constitution. That was of no help. They cited the North Carolina Constitution. What was in the Constitution? The North Carolina Constitution has a provision that says citizens are entitled to earn and to keep the fruits of their labors. I haven't heard that phrase since I read it in John Locke's second treatise on government. John Locke's one of the father of free enterprise, an economist who prospered lived in the 17th century in Edinburgh, and he wrote his still-available, a must-read, The Second Treatise on Government. I said to the attorney who was representing uh, this young man, have did John Locke's expression, you're entitled to the fruits of your labor, find its way? John Locke was in Edinburgh. How did it end up in the North Carolina Constitution? The answer John Locke helped write the North Carolina Constitution. In the late 17th century, John Locke, who knew the founders of the colony of North Carolina, was invited to help write the Constitution. Oh my goodness, the North Carolina Constitution goes back. To John Locke's very words, he wrote it. That was an astonishing story, and I then found out uh, the John Locke Foundation is located in North Carolina because of John Locke's connection to the North Car- to North Carolina. Well, the uh, the case is winding its way through the courts. There is no doubt that this food truck operator will prevail, and the the point of the story is. Throughout the country, in cities and towns and counties, are anti-competitive measures designed solely to snuff out entrepreneurship, to snuff out the opportunity for somebody to sell to you and to I what we want at the price we want to pay. These laws, besides licensing statutes and other similar statutes, they're called certificate of need laws. Many counties, cities, and states have certificate of need laws. Do you know what they are, Craig? A certificate of need law is a statute that says if you want to open up a facility or if you want to open up a moving company, you cannot get a license for those occupations and many others unless you can prove the area where you want to operate needs another moving company or another healthcare facility or another hair salon. Well, how in the world do you prove we, this place needs another moving company? It's impossible. Well,
0: and, and it clearly is designed to, at at the fundamental core, stifle Competition benefits those who are already in business and, in a sense, helps to almost guarantee that they have protection under the law that their business can continue without the benefit of competition. Now, let me just say this before we go to the break. We're going to come back as we've been kind of digging into to a, the, the, the micro view of this, but to put it into terms on a more macro scale that I think all of us ought to really pay close attention to. This isn't just a restaurant, who's upset because they're losing business to some carpet-bagging food truck that's here today, gone tomorrow, that simply sells a better product, and so they're losing customers there. So let's get our cronies on city council to pass some regulations that will effectively drive this man and the competition out of business. Imagine if this was allowed on a macro scale. Could a movie theater say to the local television station in the early 1950s, we need regulations to prevent you from going on the air because there's a likelihood that people will prefer to stay home and watch TV than come and spend money at our movie theaters or record stores that say we are suing... Apple, we're going to get laws passed in Cupertino to make sure they can't produce a single additional iPod because people might prefer iPods and MP3 players over buying 45s and 33 RPM records. Railroads could shut down airlines. How you know, backwards this nation could be, potentially, if we allowed this kind of behavior on the macro scale. To continue, That's why I thought the microcosm of this story is so important. It's such a critical lesson for all of us. We wanted to spend some time digging a bit deeper with Bob Zadek. I'm going to ask Bob to put on his attorney hat when we come back after the break because it also begs certain questions related to antitrust laws that are designed to protect consumers from predatory business practices and to ensure fair competition. But we normally think about antitrust laws when it comes to behemoth corporations can direct tv get bought out by at and and close down comcast things of this sort but are there ways in which these kinds of laws can and should if they don't protect the little guy as well we'll talk about that next bob zadek Syndicated talk show host, lawyer, CPA, constitutional historian, and host of the Bob Zadek Show, heard in the San Francisco Bay Area Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on 860 AM. The answer, information about his program, upcoming guests, past shows, a whole cornucopia. You still use that word outside of Thanksgiving? A cornucopia of information available on his website at BobZadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Time out back with more right after this.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Bob Zadek is with us tonight. He's with you every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock at 860 a.m. The Answer, our sister station. You can check him out there as well as online at BobZadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. I'll mention um, his most recent book is available there, podcast of recent shows, in notes and information about recent guests, lots of information available to you there. Check it out at Bob. Zadak.com. We're talking about uh, really an anti-entrepreneurial spirit in the case of, of this study that we're looking at today um, that looks like uh, looks at an independent businessman who said, you know what, I, I don't want to go and punch a clock for anybody else. Um, I would like to take advantage of some of my cooking skills and open up a food truck. I'm not really experienced in uh, being a restaurateur, but this will be a good way to not spend a lot of money because it's a very, uh, very expensive business to get into, as anybody who's been in the restaurant business will tell you. And so he just saw this as a way to kind of, you know, dip the proverbial uh, toe in the water. And what do you know? He had great success, much to the chagrin of his competition, who instead of saying, gee, maybe we ought to we'll get a food truck, too, or, gee, maybe we ought to come up with a better recipe, instead said, well, if you can't beat them, use the law to shut them down. And, Bob, that leads me to a question. I, I referred to this before the break, that certainly at a national level, antitrust laws have been used to uh, to do a lot, to not only in an effort to try to protect consumers, uh, guarantee some sense of fair competition, though perhaps not always equally or fairly applied, are there no antitrust laws that will come into play in something like this where clearly the city council in this case was passing laws and regulations aimed exclusively and clearly at trying to shut this man from down from competing with brick and mortar restaurants
2: well there as I said uh, in North Carolina the North Carolina Constitution expressly protected those rights and the uh, I would just mention um, in passing, Craig, that an area that's only now being rediscovered is citizens who rail against overreaching governments and they want to sue like our barbecue truck producer went to sue. They find Federal law and the United States Constitution is of no help. I'll explain why in a moment. But state constitutions often provide more protection of basic rights than does the federal constitution. And lawyers, lawyers who value freedom and protect freedom, are finding a friend in various state constitutions. It is a very interesting development. Because those con- those, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has in many ways weakened the protections given to us by the federal constitution. That's for another show. But the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't affect state constitutions, so the state constitutions are relatively pristine from judicial change as opposed to the federal
1: constitution.
2: It is for lawyers and those people who value freedom, it is a fascinating development to see state constitutions come to the rescue. So uh, the the, uh, symptom you're referring to is often called regulatory capture, where businesses that are supposed to be regulated by an agency, in effect, are so cozy with the agency that the agencies answer to the businesses they regulate rather than regulate them. In this case, we had the restaurants capturing local government and used local government to protect their little corner of Farmville from competition. And it happens quite a bit. There was a case uh, In, I think, South Carolina, where you had entrepreneurs who had a new product. It was teeth whitening. They would go into a mall, and they would offer the service. Anybody wanted it. You walk into this little shop in a mall, and for like $20, you had your teeth whitened. And the dentist complained. They said, It's stealing business from us, and they went to the State Dental Society, who ruled that teeth whitening was the practice of dentistry, and they put all these teeth whitening entrepreneurs out of business. That went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and what happened was the Dental Society, which ruled against the teeth whiteners, was totally controlled by dentists, not by government officials. And that was another example of regulatory capture. And they said the dental in this state was nothing other than um, an agent of the dentist and not a governmental agency. So this happens all the time because governments, while governments pretend to their entrepreneurship, which is where you started this show, The ugly secret is the federal government and state and local governments really don't like entrepreneurship. You know why? Because entrepreneurs are independent thinkers. Think of qualities you need to be an entrepreneur. Independence, free thinking, leave me alone. Let me make a living as long as I honor the laws. In other words, entrepreneurs are less likely To behave like docile cattle vis a vis government. Entrepreneur is in many ways the enemy. Take banking, Craig. We had 15 years ago, there were 14,000 banks in this country. Has been a massive street corner, seemed to have staffed by and owned by neighbors. Now, All big banks That's intentional The government caused that to happen Because if they can get bank consolidation They have the numbers A smaller number Which the government can control So this is not an accidental phenomenon This is Governments are always adverse to entrepreneurship So you have Put the hammer right on the head of the nail Government Doesn't promote Because they can't control it as well as they can control big business where they can swap for business accommodating government.
0: Well, and there's a huge manner, too, in which there's sort of the, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours interplay going on here. The likelihood of a single food truck making, say, a large contribution to the re-election campaign of a city council member, probably not real great get an association of restaurants that has a significant amount of cash available to them and power in numbers... Well, there might be a good chance you get a little legislation on the books that helps shut down the competition. They, in turn, will uh, be sure to reward you by supporting your reelection campaign. So clearly there is, uh, shall we say, uh, less than honorable conflicts of interest at play here. And and I have to wonder, even as this particular piece of legislation was, was passed there in North Carolina, uh, under what guise? I mean, what... Health and safety of the public? I mean, when you, when you pass a regulation like this, don't you want to try to use some kind of window dressing, some kind of a cover, or do they just come out and say, yeah, you know what, the big restaurants in town, they don't like the competition, so we're going to pass some local city ordinances to shut the competition down. How do they kind yes. of sneak this thing through under the cover of darkness?
2: Uh, Craig, sometimes, many times, you're a genius. You nailed the issue. You just nailed it. And the way they justified increasing the fee from $100 a year to $75 a day, they said, we will use the extra money to buy equipment for the Little League and music for the school band. (laughs) So they dressed it up. They always do that. They give themselves a lofty high... um, very moral, righteous motivation. How cynical can they be? They wanted this guy not to compete with the restaurants. And Craig, the phenomenon we've been talking about, it's very, it's been very obvious to Californians. Remember, California was the first state and the most aggressive state to basically prohibit Uber's and Lyft's business model by saying you cannot be an independent contractor. You have to be treated like an employee. Now, why did California do that? Because, they, as I said, they can't control entrepreneurs, independent thinkers. So the best thing to do is to make all the Uber drivers employees, step one. Step two, then get a union in place. The union and the government work hand in hand. There you have it. Like magic. 10 or 20,000 independent Uber drivers now become docile, powerless employees. They have snuffed out entrepreneurship and taken away all the independence from Uber drivers. Everybody who became an Uber driver did so voluntarily because they liked the deal. So the government comes in to protect Uber drivers, all of whom became Uber drivers because they wanted to be, and they took away the option of the independence. It was right before our eyes, the very phenomenon that you have been talking about during this session of the show.
0: And of course, what's fascinating about this is that if any of these Uber drivers were upset or had some sense of gee, we we wish we were working in a more traditional environment where we had uh, payroll taxes withdrawn from our uh, our earnings, where we had uh, all of the, the the typical encumbrances that come with running a business and being the employee of a business. Well, they could have easily just said, hey, yellow cab, hey, Checker cab, I'd like a job. That was op- That opportunity was there for them they chose as you point out uh, the 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 liberty the freedom that the 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 entrepreneurial sense of i will work when i feel like it i don't want to punch a clock if i have some extra time i can go drive for a few hours uh, i you know i'm i'm happy to pay my my income taxes just as you know uh, i would if i was out mowing lawns on the weekends for a living uh, but clearly, losing that control and i and dare I say it uh, the potential opportunity at additional tax revenue because let 's face it when you're working in a more traditional employer situation you 're not just paying income taxes you're also paying social security taxes you're paying into the medicare system you're paying into the disability system there's multiple layers in some companies where they're even in, in some fashions they they don't legally compel you but they will automatically put you into their company 401k They make it sound like they're doing you a favor on behalf of your retirement plan. In reality, in most cases, if you dig deep enough, you'll find out that the very same company that your firm is using – to manage your 401k dollars is probably the very same company that lent money to your employer so that they could expand. So there's 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 plenty of chicanery going on behind the scenes here, and and clearly the passage of that bill here in California, that uh, that proposition was designed to do one thing, and that is stifle the entrepreneurial spirit and gain greater control and wipe out as much independence as possible. Bob Zadek goes deeper on these issues. Bob, we're going to have to get into a, a single program, I think, discussing the Supreme Court nominee because we're clearly out of time today. And I looked at the clock and thought, mm, I don't want to uh, do this injustice by not devoting sufficient time to it. So we'll catch up with Bob hopefully next week. We can dive into the, uh, the upcoming SCOTUS vacancy. Meanwhile, if you want some good, intelligent, compelling conversation that gets deep, makes you think. And helps educate you, too. Check out the Bob Zadek Show. He's on every Sunday morning here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area. Great alternative to some of the talking heads on TV. Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on 860 AM, The Answer. If you happen to miss his show, you can catch the podcast. And, again, all available on his website at BobZadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Robert, as always, we appreciate the time. Six o'clock from KFAX.